I know exactly what you're thinking. You've written your Win32 application in C++ or WPF, but you're thinking in the back of your mind, have I missed the boat when it comes to the Windows Store? Because as it starts to take off, where's my application fit in? Well, that is the desktop bridge, and the desktop bridge is what we're talking about this episode of Dev Radio. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Microsoft Dev Radio. I'm your host, Jerry Nixon, and I'm here with Stefan Wick. He's the program manager on the Desktop Bridge Project. The Desktop Bridge Project is a big deal for Windows developers, and it's a big deal inside Microsoft as well, and I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, we also have Uni Ravidanathran also on the call. Again, we've had him on the show so many times. He's the program manager for Windows tooling inside, Dev, inside Visual Studio, and uh, the two of them are going to tell us everything we could possibly learn about the desktop bridge and what it means to your project and your Win32 application that you may have as well. But before we start talking about that, before we start getting into anything, Stefan, thanks for being on the show. Tell us just for a second, who is Stefan Wick? Hey, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, my name is Stefan Wick. I'm a program manager lead uh, in Windows. Uh, my team is working on the UWP app model. And as part of that, we have started the desktop project uh, desktop bridge project a couple of years ago and we released it uh, in the last year as part of the Windows 10 anniversary update and just recently with the creators update we've refreshed it with a couple of uh, new features. Okay, cool. And, uh, and I think it's just starting to really get some legs under it right now. It's, this couldn't be a better timed episode, no doubt about it. Hey, Uni, welcome back to the show, man. How's it been going? Thanks, Jerry. Uh, doing all right. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Muni Ravindranathan. I'm a program manager in Windows Studio, and my team actually built some of the tools that you might have used to build applications for Windows, package management service, and a couple of other things as well. So, yeah, I'm super happy to be on the show and talk to you today. Uh, your umbrella of responsibility is bigger and bigger every time I talk to you, it seems like. First, you uh, are that. Didn't you start out on the Blend team? Yeah, I was actually uh, one of the first, um, like in 2004, when we were just an incubation project. I was one of the first uh, program managers on the team. Yeah, and since then I've been working on Visual Studio and WPF and, you know, everything in between. So, yeah. You used to be the guy that would refill the coffee pot. Now you're the guy that runs the entire show. It's a pretty <laughs> incredible story. <laughs> um, but that includes NuGet, right? I mean, NuGet is part of your deal. All the UWP tooling, the XAML editing experience. Every time we see things like Peak showing up in the in the XAML editor, right? This is all stuff that you had your fingers in. It's pretty cool business, no doubt about it, and complicated. Yeah, it's, been it's fun, not as yeah. simple as it looks. Yep, it's been fun for sure. Okay. Um, it is possible that there's a developer out there who has absolutely heard during the keynote of builds or something like that us uh, starting to talk about the desktop bridge. And um, maybe, maybe at the beginning they thought, oh, this must be like the Android bridge or this must be like the iOS bridge. And in a sense it is, right, because it's bringing an application over into the Windows ecosystem. But it's totally different. And to give us the high-level view, Stefan, just help me understand as a developer, what is the desktop bridge? Yeah, the desktop bridge is the path for existing desktop app developers uh, to bring their apps uh, not only to the Windows Store, but also to the universal Windows platform. 
to take advantage of the modern deployment mechanisms that we have in Windows 10 and also to modernize your existing desktop app investments with new UWP features on Windows 10 and then ultimately to migrate your application to a full UWP so you can run it not only on your desktop PC but also on your Surface Hub or HoloLens, uh, Xbox and so on and so sure. forth. So, I mean, obviously, there's a gigantic spectrum of opportunity here, right? Starting all the way over from do nothing to your application to, like you said, running it on HoloLens. And, by the way, running on HoloLens isn't a requirement for the desktop bridge, right? If a, uh, Let's talk about before what we do to somebody's application. Tell me first, which kind of app is a good candidate for the bridge? So, I have an application. I've written the entire thing. In .NET, it's a WinForms application, or maybe I've got one. It's a console application. Maybe it's a, a you know a C application. I've got something written in Flash that runs as an embedded standalone. Talk to me about who are good candidates here and who aren't. Yep. So the nice thing about the desktop bridge is really that it is agnostic to the, the type of app framework or programming language that you're using today on your desktop application. It also is agnostic to the type of installer that you're using today, whether you're using MSI or uh, install shield or just do an X copy install. Uh, we can uh, consume all those inputs and create a, a universal Windows app package for your application. So whether it's a VB6 app or an Electron app, WPF or WinForms, you know, they're all welcome. We love all the code you write for Windows and uh, we will help you take it forward on the desktop bridge. So you could almost say if you can run on Windows today, you've already met the first requirement. That is largely true for like user applications. Uh, so the desktop bridge today is not a solution for like system applications. If you have uh, uh, like deep integration in in the system with like uh, kernel mode drivers or uh, or NT services that you know run uh, run a system, uh, you know those are not candidates for for the desktop bridge. But any kind of user application. Uh, that runs in uh, in the user mode, uh, those are, are great candidates for, for desktop bridge. Okay, let me make sure I, I get that. So um, I've started a small company and I make a little piece of hardware, plugs into the USB port and it blinks a light, right? It's the Jerry blinking light system, very popular. Um, in order for it really to work properly, I need a driver. So I've written an application that both manages how quickly it blinks, but it also installs the driver for me as well. Talk to me a little bit about what my scenario would be. Like, how could, how can this be a solution for me? Because I hear you say drivers disqualify me, but not totally, right? Yeah, I mean the app, the app itself can still be uh, packaged as a uh, Windows app package and deployed as such. Uh, we just can't uh, deploy the driver as part of that uh, store package. So the driver would need to come onto the system via uh, via a different mechanism, uh, for example, via Windows Update. Okay. And I think as a developer, understanding why that's true is important. When I, um, when I run my MSI today, um, one of the first things the developer or the user experience receives is that UAC prompt that says, um, do you give permission to that, right? And if you're not an administrator of your box, you need to get somebody who is to come log in for it or whatever to give you permission to do that installation. But that's not the, that's not the Windows Store model. The Windows Store model is a little bit different. Yeah, that's correct. So the the world of MSIs and and 
and the the Win32 app model at large, if if we can even call it an app model, uh, goes back many many decades, and it was invented in a time that. Uh, where people bought their software in boxes and, you know, you install them from, from a disk and everyone's an admin and there is no internet or other network connectivity and, you know, security, you know, didn't really exist or, or wasn't an, an issue for, for computers. So that's where, yeah. where some of these models come from. And and MSI-based installers are, um, are not a... A very good technology in in today's world, where you basically at the moment you confirm the UAC prompt, you give that application uh, the permission to do almost anything to your wow. system, and yeah. uh, not only during the installation can it uh, can it spit out you know things into your system 32 folder and uh, totally write over everything in in your registry but also yeah. later at runtime your code can run you know at any point in time without a user intention or 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 user control it will run at the full um, privileges and um, and if you ever have a bug in in any of those components um, a hacker could potentially uh, cause significant damage to mm. you or, or or your system. In the UWP model, uh, we are addressing um, we're addressing all of those concerns, and um, and that is one of the reasons why we don't install uh, kernel mode driver or services that run uh, in session zero uh, with your uh, with your Windows app package, because at that point. Uh, the user confidence can no longer be guaranteed. Uh, code would be able to run outside of the user session, and we could not guarantee a clean update or clean uninstall of, of your package. So that is one of the important principles uh, that we have uh, with the modern app model on Windows, that uh, when you install something, uh, you can not only you know cleanly install without impact to to other apps or the system uh, you can uh, seamlessly update uh, the app but also you can cleanly uninstall the app and we guarantee you that there will will be nothing left on the system and no mm -hmm. uh, no impact that you will regret later uh, that you have ever installed this application there will be no uh, no flavors of DLL hell or or, or WinRot uh, that we mm -hmm. know from uh, kind of the Win32 world. So this is quite a little nirvana we're living in here where we're saying we understand the nightmare of MSI already and we understand the big, big problem of elevated privilege and everything else that can go wrong as soon as you give an application too much permission. And now we're saying, one, you don't need admin access to install applications anymore. Huge win. Number two, you can install and uninstall so cleanly that you never knew the application was there after you've uninstalled it. And we can guarantee that by a set of both technology and policies that we are going to put around it. So I can take my application. You said uh, I, can, I have a VB6 application. That's supported. Yep. I have a, a regular .NET application I wrote in, in C Sharp. That's supported. Yep. Uh, how about a Silverlight application? I wrote a Silverlight application. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm I'm not sure we've um, we've tried one yet, to be honest. But um, it, it should work in the same way. As I said, the uh, desktop bridge technology is agnostic to uh, to the language or or the app framework, and um, 
So if you have kind of an out-of-browser Silverlight application, uh, that should uh, package up as a Windows app package sure. as well. Uh, I've written it in um, in C or Visual C, totally supported. Yep. What about what about Delphi? I wrote my application in Delphi. Yeah, Delphi actually is a great example. Uh, Delphi, you know, works works great with the desktop bridge, and uh, in fact. Um, uh, our friends over at Embarcadero uh, built a great tools in the latest version of their IDE where you can essentially just uh, do a right click on your uh, Delphi project and say, hey, add uh, Windows Store support. And then what they do is basically do all the uh, desktop bridge uh, magic nice. for you and they package uh, up your uh, the build output as a Windows app package and then you can go um, uh, install it on your Windows 10 machine, and uh, you you're ready to submit to the Windows Store. That's nice. Um, what about this? I I've written a very successful game. I've put it up on Steam. I, I use Unity. Is that supported? Unity is supported. Yeah, Unity uh, actually um, uh, has an even better path to UWP because uh, UWP already supports all the uh, Unity surface. So if you have a, a Unity app on on the latest version or on a, on a current version, uh, you mm -hmm. can just basically con convert it straight to uh, to UWP. Got it. And if I happen to be in a situation where I've been writing this application for the last two years and I'm on a previous version of Unity and I just don't have the time to upgrade, I just want to get it in the store, I still have the bridge. Yeah, exactly. You can uh, use the bridge as your first step and get a Windows app package for your uh, current Unity code. And then as a next step, you know, when you have the time, you can upgrade to uh, the current version of Unity, you know, make the tweaks you have to make. And at that point, uh, you you will become a full UWP, and then uh, you know you can go to all Windows 10 devices. Now I know, and we'll talk about this in a minute. I know there are several technical constraints that I I will have around my application, but let's talk about some some scenarios, and you tell me if they're supported as well. So it sounds like just about every technology is supported, right? I, I actually am struggling right now to think of another one. I, you know, is a batch file supported? I mean, just you know what I yep. mean. I can't think batch, of it. Batch file installer are <laughs> are supported. We've recently, or a few months ago, added that to the desktop app converter tool, where you can uh, basically just point it at 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 a batch file. Uh, you can also point it just oh, wow. to, to a to a folder that uh, contains the sort of loose loose files for for your classic application, and will will produce an app package for you. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. So I can also, what if my application has, um, you know, maybe it's an imaging application. Um, one part of it is browsing images and the other part is viewing as an individual viewer. Two EXEs, can I package those together? Or is that two separate projects? You can package them together, and a Windows app package can contain any numbers of uh, EXEs, so there is no limit to that, and you can uh, activate one from, from the other. Um, you can also have uh, an app package that has multiple entries on, uh, on the app list, uh, so that is all technically supported by the platform and by the deployment stack. Uh, there are some store uh, policies around that though, so we, uh, we may not allow your app to uh, kind of put uh, 20 entries into the yeah. app list, so that's something to check for before you, before you try to do that. 
Sure, but it is possible, and if it's uh, you know critical to your application, there is a path where you can get that. Yeah, get yeah. Policy the, the typical scenario uh, that we've seen is uh, there are there are Win32 games coming over the bridge, and uh, they have. Um, they have their game as an uh, entry point, but then they also have something like a level editor or some other configuration tool that kind of comes on the side. And so, mm-hmm. uh, so they want to have both exposed on the app list. Uh, and uh, yeah, we totally support that. You can define uh, two application nodes in your manifest, and then those will translate to two entries on, on the app list. I would say for most applications, the most common thing, the second EXE they ship is uninstall.exe. That, of course, is not a, a supported yeah, you because don't need that. that's so meaningless. With, yeah, once your app uh, has gone on the desktop bridge uh, and you've done the conversion of your installer, uh, then you can just right-click on the app list or, or on the start tile and uh, select uninstall from there and, and we'll take care of the rest. Good. All right, so um, another kind of application I might write is uh, maybe a Dropbox-like application, you know, or a OneDrive-like application. It monitors folders, keeps things in sync. Um, you know, we know there's a type of containment. Is that supported? Yep, uh, that's supported. Uh, I, I, I guess you're asking about kind of the file access uh, permissions here. And uh, yeah, so the the Win32 app that you uh, that you convert with the desktop bridge uh, still runs with uh, with the same uh, privileges. So mm-hmm. uh, there are no additional restrictions that we apply at runtime. So if you were able to access all those uh, files uh, before conversion, you can still do that after conversion. All right, nice. Um, uh, how about this one? I know the answer to this one, and this is uh, so be- we both know this is a trick question. Um, I write a utility because after a while, you know, a user's um, registry gets a mess, and so I write a utility that cleans up the registry. Is that supported? So yeah, that's a good question. So um, in your desktop bridge app, you uh, you can uh, use the registry APIs uh, to use the registry for what it was intended to be, uh, basically a, a, a fast database on the system to store mm-hmm. your, your settings. Um, however, we isolate uh, uh, the registry to, to the app so that uh, your writes kind of go into your, uh, your private uh, hive that is uh, local to, to your app. Uh, you can still read the uh, read the system registry uh, the same way as as you were able before, but your writes uh, are not visible outside of your your app. So that is also how we prevent uh, those WinRot problems and and impact to other apps on the system. Okay, got it. So not supported is the best is the quick way because yep. uh, you can read from the registry still all you want. You just can't write to the registry anymore. You write to your own local hive. I get it. All right. So there's there there's our first catch, right? All right. All right that's good. Uh, you know. And and what yeah. what have we discounted? One yeah, percent. The nice, the nice of thing the... about it though is that you don't have to change your code here. So if you have registry code uh, that you've written ten years ago, it will still work the same way. So the fact that it's being written to a a uh, a private hive uh, is um, is completely invisible to the app developer. Let's talk about conversion for a second and how my, what my app looks like today and what it has to look like tomorrow in order to be in the store. So let's pretend 
Let's pretend that I just have a, it's a simple application. You know, all it does is, I, I don't know, just, just make it, it's a, it's a calculator. And um, it works great now. And, you know, I've got a certain code base. Um, what, what happens when it goes through conversion? What are you doing to my code? Yeah, so we're not doing anything to your code. That's kind of the, the nice thing. Uh, so when we say, you know, conversion or converting the app, what we really mean is we're converting your app installer uh, to a Windows Universal App Package, uh, a, a .appx file, which is essentially a kind of a glorified zip file that contains all your uh, application binaries and, and content files, as well as an Apex manifest that uh, declares to the system, you know, how all the pieces are supposed to get installed and, and how they work together. So we're not changing your code at all. Uh, so okay. this also means uh, you can have the same code uh, still run on Windows 7. Uh, so you don't need to make the choice, hey, I'll either go Windows 7 or Windows 10. Nope. Uh, you can uh, have the same code base, target, um, target all Windows devices. Uh, but on Windows 10, you will get the additional benefits of uh, the installer. All uh, right. So, so my can... calculator EXE on the day before conversion you know, looks a certain way. My calculator EXE on the day after conversion looks exactly the same. Yeah, there, it would, there in, is no in the in the ninety nine percent case, it's exactly the same. Uh, in some cases, uh, we may require you to make some code tweaks, and typically yeah. that is the case if you uh, if you had any any bugs in your code uh, where you are not uh, following best practices that mm -hmm. uh, that maybe in the past we haven't really enforced or haven't really. Uh, told you about. Uh, Any example but, of what one of those might be? So one good example here, I guess, is uh, going back to the registry. If if you have used the uh, registry to uh, as kind of an inter-process communication mechanism with other applications on the system, then uh, those would no longer work because the other apps cannot see your registry rights. Uh, so you would have to uh, use a different mechanism for this. Another example would be uh, if you are uh, currently writing to your install directory, uh, mm. we do not allow that. And the reason for that is we need to be able to uh, ensure seamless differential updates. Uh, so this way, uh, we cannot uh, allow the app to change the installation directory because then we wouldn't know how or, or where, where to update uh, new yeah. files coming from the store. So uh, all your writes will have to go to a separate directory. So right. those are kind of typical changes. I can't wait to talk to you about these differential updates because it's an unbelievable offering that, that's part of this deal. But I want to talk about that later. I want to still talk about changes to my code. Um, what if inside my calculator, which is a pretty straightforward application, um, one of the things I do is under help about is uh, I, I do check to make sure there's not an update available. And so I go back to my website, you know, what's the current version and what's the version that's running. What about that type of scenario when I have that in my code? Yeah, you would be uh, best advised to just delete that uh, because you no longer need it uh, because now your calculator uh, will get automatic seamless differential updates from the Windows Store and you know you don't need to write, write all that uh, code yourself anymore. Uh, what if I have a link in there in the same dialog and it just says, 
um, click here to see our other products. I, I know I'm delivering that through the store. Is that, is that allowed for me to show my other products? Um, that's a policy question where I'm not 100% sure what the right answer is there. Um, so, you know, I think it is. Uni, do you know? Technically, there's no, uh, no reason not uh, why I, it I'm would gonna, not work. I'm going to guess as well. My guess is uh, you probably can launch the Windows Store automatically. And on that particular page, like your own description page, you probably, the users can discover other applications that get listed on the same page, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that yeah, would and probably one way of like, you know, uh, getting people to discover more of your applications or your firm's applications uh, via the Windows Store. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, let's forget about my calculator app for a second. And now I want to talk about my notepad app that I wrote in .NET. And I have written this application specifically in .NET 4.0. And the reason I did that is I want to support all my existing customers on Windows XP, which I know it's not supported, but I've just got so many customers. I don't want to, I don't want to upgrade to, to .NET 4.6.1 that is not supported on XP. Uh, the way I read the documentation, do I need to upgrade to .NET 4.6.1? So uh, your app needs to run on 4.6.1? Because okay. that is the version of .NET that ships in the Windows 10 anniversary update, which is the minimum version for, for desktop bridge apps. So, so that is a requirement. You cannot uh, redistribute uh, like .NET 2.0 or, or .NET 3.5. You cannot hard, hard require that, uh, any of those versions by your app. So um, as long as your app uh, can work on 4.6.1 and does not redistribute any, any versions of .NET, uh, you, you will be fine. So generally speaking, a .NET application pretty far down, I think two may actually be how far back we can go, is supported with 4.6.1 installed on the machine. And so where I may have had, uh, you know, my, let's say it's .NET 4.0, my application's 4.0, part of my installation is to make sure 4.0 is installed on that machine, just like we've done for years, to make sure that the framework is there before we install our application because it requires it. That may be one of the things I need to take out, not the upgrade yep. to 4.6.1, just the check to make sure that 4.0 is not installed because now with 4.6.1, if they have the store, if they're running Windows 10, um, they already have 4.6.1. I can count on it being there, and I can count yeah. on my app. Yeah, you need to remove supported. the check, and then also you have to make sure you you do your testing uh, that that it actually works, and you don't depend on on any uh, specific quirks there. My desktop application has to be tested. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I'm just teasing. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the requirements. Are you crazy? <laughs> We've never had that before. Um, all right, so let's let's kind of step back just for a second because one of the things we talked about was the, the unique installation, the unique uninstall. We talked briefly about um, how you can't write to the registry anymore, but you can read from the registry just fine, but you can write to a local registry that no other app can see. Yeah, um, you can write to the registry. It's just uh, you know, those writes don't end up in the global uh, shared registry. Right. Um, but let's talk about the file system now. So um, one of the things that happens is every time I install my calculator, the DLL that I require to really make my calculator work, honestly, that's a very common DLL that other apps, they seem to overwrite in System 32. And as a result, my application gets these bug reports that really aren't my fault. It's because of the other applications that are messing up my DLL, right? We've called that DLL hell for a long, long time. So talk to me a little bit about how the desktop bridge addresses that. 
Yeah, great question. Yeah, it's uh, it's somewhat similar to to the registry approach. Uh, so what we're doing uh, during um, the installation of your app, when we um, when we run your app through the converter, we record all the file writes that your current installer does um, outside of the install directory. So whether it goes into system 32 or mm -hmm. or uh, you know other uh, folders on the system, we record those, and uh, and then we package those files in the Apex package under a special folder that we call VFS, uh, uh, like virtual file system. And uh, now at runtime, when your application runs, uh, we, the system knows that your application is a, a desktop bridge app. Uh, it, it has a kind of a, a special uh, uh, process token. And uh, so the operating system now knows when your system asks, hey, load me this DLL from system 32. Then uh, we turn around and uh, load that file from the uh, VFS folder, which is part of your installation directory, mm -hmm. and we'll hand it back to you and we say, hey, here's your file from System32. And so your code does not need to change or even know about this. It will just uh, see exactly the file that uh, it thought it had installed in System32. Yeah. But you nice. know, we uh, essentially lie to you uh, there in a, in, in a good way. Um, in a way, I bring that DLL with me, right? In, in a lot of ways, I bring that DLL with me. And, and that other application that usually wrecks the DLL for me, they're not writing to my local copy of that DLL. And as a result, I never have to compete with them again. And it, exactly. But, and, but, but no code changes for me. I reach out to that file. I reach out to that folder location. It's all virtualized. Now, the rest of the operating system, the rest of the file system is not virtualized. It's these core pieces that are in that VSF folder inside my Apex. And just like the registry, it's the pieces that I'm trying to write to or the pieces I identify during conversion that I, that I count on being there. They're going to be there as well. It, no changes yet to my code. Now I'm wrapped in an Apex. That's the reason I get a lot of this functionality. But I know that one of the things an Apex does is it gives me a brand new app lifecycle. In fact, I've watched your build session on this. I know that my app lifecycle means now my calculator is going to be suspended. Talk to me about the lifecycle of a desktop application using the bridge. Um, so we're actually not changing uh, the lifecycle for uh, desktop bridge apps. Uh, in uh, you know when the Win32 app gets converted uh, to an to an app package, the lifecycle is exactly the same as before okay. conversion. So uh, we're not suspending you. Uh, you can uh, run without uh, any restrictions the same way uh, you ran before. Okay, cool. That's what I. That's a, that's a dream, right? That's a dream come true. So now I get I start to get these benefits of Apex, and I get this idea of a manifest that has capabilities. Um, but I also know that a UWP application also has a manifest. Is this the same manifest? Yeah, it's exactly the same manifest. Uh, so what we've done with the desktop bridge, we've um, we have extended the UWP app model to accommodate those uh, those converted Win32 applications. So. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you can identify uh, such application by the run full trust capability that uh, needs to be declared in the manifest. 
uh, and also by the entry point for the application that uh, has the special uh, Windows dot full trust uh, entry point declaration. This way the system knows how to activate uh, this type of application. But other than that, everything is exactly the same. Uh, it's, okay. uh, it's a UWP Apex manifest. You can uh, declare all the UWP things in there the same way you do it for UWPs. You can declare your visual assets for like uh, start menu tiles and so on in the exact same way. Uh, in fact, you know, there uh, we can leverage uh, all the tools that Uni's team uh, has built uh, to, to manage those, those visual assets, for example, or to declare extensions in the manifest uh, mm. with Visual Studio 2017. Uh, you know that manifest editor is actually very, very beautiful and and powerful. Well, Uni, that's a great question. All right, so I can right-click my Apex manifest. It opens up in Visual Studio. I get a full editor, and I'm looking and looking in every tab, and I'm scrolling and trying to find that Run Full Trust checkbox. Could you tell me where that is? So that's not there today, so to speak. It's coming there, and the, it's coming to to the manifest editor in the near future. So we're working with the Windows team to uh, to 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 expose the capability in a, a slightly more broader way. Today, today you have to unfortunately edit the manifest file and set the capability by uh, you know by 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 using the text editor. But then you can revert back to the manifest designer for the rest of the capabilities, like Stefan was talking about before. Okay. Well, I mean that's that. I mean. I am a developer. I'm not totally afraid of editing XML as long as the, you know you have the right guidance and things like that around it. But I think that's great because a lot of developers, I think, do scroll around a lot looking inside the designer. Where is this piece for uh, run full access? Um, it's one of those things where you right click and say uh, the, you view code, that's <laughs> and right. you do it from there. Yeah. Like, um, uh, if you were if you were to use the converter, uh, it already sets all these capabilities for you. Uh, beyond there, you're just tweaking uh, the manifest for your requirements, your assets, your brand, and so on and so forth. Uh, for, in that particular scenario, it's everything is set up. But yeah, if you were to start from scratch uh, or, or essentially not use the converter, then you yeah. would want to do this. And that's something that we're going to make it go away in the near future. Okay, so we're almost to the converter then, Stefan. I, I, I've done everything you've said. I've gone into my calculator. I've removed the thing that says click here to upgrade to the latest. I let the store handle that magically somehow for me. Um, you know, I've got, um, what else? I, I don't write to my, my install folder. I make sure, um, you know, I use the registry correctly. Um, I, um, I, I understand that I can't use elevated privileges anymore. So I've got kind of all those things. Now my calculation engine that runs as a Windows service, talk to me just a little bit about what my options are there. Yeah, so... Uh, you can't deploy an anti-Windows um, service with an Apex package. Um, uh, again, it goes back to the um, to the the user confidence and the impact that your app installer uh, mm -hmm. should have on the system. Um, but then, if you are a calculator application, uh, obviously my first question would be, you know, why why do you need a a Windows service to to do that? And um, you know, more than likely, uh, that was just you know, a choice because you could do it, but right, not right. that's really the right tool for the task. So if you have, uh, if you have, <laughs> I'll a, look past that you're questioning my architecture for my calculator here. <laughs> if you, all right. Well, let. Yeah, what about Stefan? What about the similar thing of running in the tray? Can I can I have my application at least run in the tray? 
yeah you can you can run in the tray uh, so uh, that is that is totally supported for desktop bridge applications so uh, if you're doing that today you don't need to change anything it will just continue to work um, but also I mean for for your calculator that may need to run like very long running calculations in the background right. for hours and hours uh, so uh, there are better ways to do that that don't require an, an anti-service. Uh, so uh, from your app, you can you can spin up a, a background uh, task or or a background process uh, that can take care of those calculations and those operations can go uh, you know beyond the lifetime of your foreground application. So so okay. there there are there are good options available uh, for you for for those scenarios. Uh, there's a handful of things. Uh, a good example of the tray feature that I'm actually using uh, as we speak is Slack. Slack's available in the Windows Store, and I actually really depend on that tray feature to see when there's a new, uh, you know, new message that's available or a new, uh, you know, new thread has started or something like that. So yeah, it's it's actually super helpful. Uh, Stefan, what do you say to people who um, they they're writing a UWP app, not a Win32 app, but they want to to write a bridge app now because they want to leverage things like um, uh, they want to leverage things like running in the in the tray. Is is that a possibility to kind of do this backwards? So you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it backwards. Uh, okay. So, but if you if you are uh, if you're coming to UWP and you know you you want your you want your uh, app to run on like all the Windows 10 devices and therefore you know you want to use as as much of uh, UWP uh, as as possible and uh, and not rely on on any Win32 uh, components or APIs that that may only be applicable and supported on on desktop. Uh, there is a way uh, for you to do that, and uh, as part of the the desktop bridge, uh, we uh, we support you here as well. Uh, so you can uh, you can move to like full UWP for the majority of your code, and uh, let's say out of the out of the ten features that your app has, nine are. Uh, applicable and supported on like all Windows 10 devices, including IoT and and Hololens and phone and 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 so on. Uh, but you have this one feature that uh, that you only need to support your existing desktop uh, customers, for example. Yeah. And this may very well be the the Sistray feature uh, because we don't have Sistray on on any of those other uh, device types. Then uh, you can absolutely do that. You can write code in your UWP that uh, first checks. Uh, whether or not you are running on a on a desktop SKU, and and if you are, uh, you can uh, you can use the full trust uh, process launcher API. It's a new API uh, with the anniversary update uh, to uh, activate a Win32 component that comes with your package from the Windows Store, and okay. uh, and you can leverage cool. those desktop specific. Uh, so from my UWP app, I can launch my Win32 app. And it turns out I can do the other thing too. I can, from my Win32 app, I can launch my UWP app as well. If I include yes. a Win32 application inside my app package, can it still be deployed onto HoloLens? So when we deploy on, on HoloLens, um, so the Win32 uh, code would not run. So that would, uh, you know, you could not, uh, could not activate that. Okay. 
Okay, so uh, Uni, I'm back to the manifest again. I know there's capabilities I can add. One of them is run full trust, but even as a, let's say I only have a Win32 application, I can do things like, um, I can do things like open with, right? Because my application maybe always has a special file type. Is that, is that still an option for me? Yeah, uh, I believe you have, uh, when was that introduced, Stefan? Do you remember? Uh, open with, yeah, was uh, anniversary update yeah, as well. So, so absolutely, you can do, uh, you know, uh, open with, uh, you can do aliases, right? Like, uh, you can essentially in the command line, uh, you can type, uh, let's say, your 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 calculator.exe, actually long uh, application, either UWP or a desktop bridge application uh, via the shell, like uh, via the command line. So all of that can be done via the, the manifest that you talk about and uh, expressing more and more dependencies on various operating system functionality. Yeah. Now, so the command uh, Ste line Stefan, activation. Stefan, I know that I can... Oh, wait, wait. I Sorry, know that just, I can do a lot with the... Um, oh, keep t tell me about the command line. Sorry, yeah. So just wanted to clarify there on the command line activation. Uh, today, this is um, limited to desktop bridge applications but we're bringing that to UWPs as well. Uh, it's planned for the fall creators update. Oh, that'll be nice. That'll be, that will be really nice, actually. So I can ship a CLI implementation of my UWP logic depending on how it, I expect my users to use my application. Um, so, yes. Uh, <laughs> Sweet! I love it. Now, I, another thing I know I can do in the shell is I can provide thumbnails. Like, I can be the thumbnail provider for my special Jer .jerry file type. Um, in fact, there's a lot I do in the shell. Uh, are there limitations to things as far as integration into the shell? Um, yeah, there are still things that we are working on uh, in regards to more uh, shell extensions. So, uh, it's... Um, you know the shell, the window shell uh, extensions and APIs go back many, many uh, decades, and there is a lot of uh, ways to extend the shell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of them are uh, are very good, and some of them <laughs> also have have some problems and um, uh, may result in uh, user experiences that are not ideal today in, in the Win32 world, for example, where any app can integrate with the uh, Windows Explorer uh, and uh, run code inside the Windows Explorer process, uh, mm. which um, leads to a lot of instability in, uh, in the Explorer. And that's not something that really the Explorer team or, or Microsoft can do much about because it's yeah. third-party code that uh, has registered itself to run in that process. So what we're doing with, uh, with the shell extensions when we bring them uh, when we expose them to desktop bridge apps and, and to, to UWP apps, we, we want to make sure all of those uh, follow an out-of-proc model where we, mm -hmm. we run the uh, extensibility code out-of-proc. So even if the third-party code has a bug, it won't bring down uh, the user's system or, or the user's uh, explorer process. So. Uh, so that is uh, that is work we're we're still uh, we're still making a lot of progress on. I want to ask you then a little bit about out of process. So uh, my my calculator 
when you run it today, uh, you just double click that exe and it's good to go and it's ready to go. And but when I'm running it inside your Apex, it's running in a different context. And do I understand it correctly? It's running inside an app container. Is that right? Uh, that's not exactly correct. So okay. the app okay. the app container, what we generally refer to as the app container, is um, where your UWP uh, application runs. So if you if you build a pure UWP, it runs in in the app container, and that is sometimes a, we call that the sandbox. Yeah, that is that is a security boundary for your application. The uh, when you start with the desktop bridge and you convert your uh, installer and then run your converted app, uh, we do not run that code in the app container. It runs in the same okay. un unrestricted uh, way as before. There is no security boundary that we're adding. Uh, however, we are running it in a different sort of container and that is the container that uh, ensures the, the registry redirects and the file system redirects that we've been talking about. Got it. So when you say run full trust, it really is running in full trust. That's the yep. reason I need to have that restricted capability in the first place. That makes right. plenty of sense. 